In Session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dulaku, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Before I get started, today is... A special day for us here at Radio Hamra, February 24th. It actually marks nine years since the radio station officially started back on February 24th, 2014. Um, Farhud had told me the date, and it's funny, I was talking to someone earlier, and I was saying, oh, it's been about nine years, and I didn't realize it was exactly nine years to the day, and I was very lucky, I think, on a two or three weeks after that, uh, I got to begin this show, so it's, it's crazy to think it's been nine years. And so, um, of course, uh, a radio station like this, there's so many people that are involved. You hear my voice, our voices, but there's so many people behind the scenes, Farhude, who is here with me right now, but so many countless others that uh, have contributed so much to make the radio station what it has been able to be. And most importantly, uh, the people who listen and who just either listen, call in, are involved in some ways, engaged in so many of the things that we've been to be a, a part of, from donating toys and different things to um, showing up at events and providing support in just a variety of ways. So without the listeners, of course, there is no radio station. So we appreciate all of you. Uh, and I can say for myself personally, the number of people I've gone to connect with around the world is quite remarkable. Um, through sometimes in person at various events and hearing their kind words about either my show but also about the radio station in general, uh, but also through social media and different forms of communication that people have sent kind words about the radio station. And so we really do greatly appreciate that. And um, I might also add, just reflecting on the radio station itself and thinking to when it started, um, I remember when my father had the idea to to do this, and I mean, I should say it's something that he had thought about, I'm sure, before it had happened for quite some time. But, um, of course, there was anxiety doing anything new. You're going to be nervous about it. I think I definitely was. Um, but I also remember feeling very proud of him back then. And I even I told him that I thought this quite clearly that... It wasn't clear what the result would be when you're starting something new. It could go any number of ways from really good to really bad um, to lasting a very, very short time to continuing for quite some time and didn't know what the result would be. But I was already so proud of him to take the steps to to take this risk in a direction that he thought made sense, uh, especially because I knew his intentions were, were so good to create a radio station that would be for... Uh, the people of Iran and for uh, the betterment of the people of Iran and I think he has has done that and so very proud of him for even doing that I think it's in and of itself inspiring but also what the radio station has become is quite remarkable and I think has has done a lot of good and I feel 
on top of that, so lucky to be a part of this radio station from connecting with people here at the radio station, connecting to, to those of you listening and around the world in a variety of ways, and just this opportunity to do this show. Uh, I really mean it. Often people in their kindness will say, I listen to your show and I, I enjoy it, or I whatever it is they say, positive words about it, which is very nice. Uh, but really when I at times respond, it's I feel lucky to do the show. I'm honored to do the show. I really do mean that. It's not just empty. I know I'm very fortunate. My father gave me this opportunity. Not everyone gets that, and I was very privileged to have it be that simple in the sense of literally handed to me in that way. And I hope I've done good with the opportunity that I um, was given. Uh, but I am very grateful that just by doing this show, of course, I try to prepare and share something with you. And because of that, it has, in a positive way, forced me and put a pressure on me to try to keep learning and and finding things to talk about and discuss and so because of that it's I think made me a better therapist better hopefully person in some ways but also more knowledgeable overall because of, of that positive pressure of wanting to create a show that is helpful to others something that I would want to listen to and hopefully um, others would want to listen to as well so very grateful for that and just a time to reflect because it is our nine-year anniversary here at Radio Hamra, well, hopefully to many, many more years, many more memories, and also hoping to um, continue this program, this radio station, into a new Iran that we're hoping uh, will be soon upon us. So thank you again to everyone out there for the well wishes and the support throughout the years. So transitioning now into just a few, first just an announcement, this um, tomorrow, Saturday, it's really just, I haven't announced it much because it's an event for attorneys. It's the Iranian American Bar Association is having a national conference Saturday, February 25th, tomorrow at the Omni Hotel in downtown. And again, it's for attorneys because they can get things like continuing education hours that, that is pertinent to them. Um, but honored to be there. And actually, I'll be on a panel with my brother Parham tomorrow around 4 p.m. there. Uh, moderated by uh, an attorney part of the IABA, Nima Rahimi. So looking forward to that, we'll be discussing things um, related to trauma, intergenerational trauma, and also we'll be touching on, as any event with Iranians in it, what's happening in Iran and how that, of course, they are being impacted the most. They are the ones there in Iran who are um, doing what we only could imagine what, that we would have the courage to do, uh, but also looking at how it is affecting those of us outside of Iran and, and continuing our support for the people of Iran and their cause. So I uh, look forward to being there. And if you are an attorney and if you're there, come say hello. It will be nice to see you there. So transitioning now into a topic for today. Um, I've been thinking about uh, for some time writing a book or doing things of that uh, nature and so lately I've thought of an idea, and I won't get into all the details, but it'll cover a ver variety of concepts that I've discussed on the show. And actually, when I talk about the, being grateful to do this show and how the opportunity has been so helpful to me, um, one of those reasons or ways it's been helpful is just to discuss a variety of topics to 
even realize what I think about them, which might sound strange. You, you think you already know. Uh, but if we don't actually think about a topic or a situation, and if we don't go into it more deeply, we don't really know or we won't be aware of how much we know. And this is in some ways related to the unconscious in general, how we have so much more in our minds that we could be aware of at any given moment. But I could ask you about a topic you've never thought of, and you'll realize you actually, now whether they're coming up in that moment or uh, whether it was there somewhere, you'll have some thoughts or feelings about it that you can share. And so this show has put another one of those pressures on me to consider a variety of concepts in depth. And sometimes I become aware of things. And... Um, Quite frankly, oftentimes on the air, what I think are good ideas come to me that I hadn't thought of before, but it's because of this um, context that they, I get to think about them and then explore them, and then some connections get made that I had never made before. Uh, it does also happen with clients where it could be a topic I've discussed many times, but because of their specific situation, where I'm at that day, where they're at that day, a new insight comes about that really we're co-creating, we're, we're coming to together. And it's quite remarkable that I, I couldn't have come up with it just thinking on my own, but in the session with them, we are in that way co-creating it. And so when I can think about writing a book, um, I, it, in some ways, yes, it's my book. I want to write a book, even that's how I say it. But I recognize how much we can be attached to this way of looking at things like whose idea is this or who came up with this and who's, uh, you know, should get the credit for it. And it's not to say none of that matters. It can be important to be aware of people's contributions and to look at what they've done. But I do think we can get too attached to these ways of looking at things to make it so black and white that someone's idea is something so all theirs and all new when really that's not the case. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything is here. All the ideas are there. And well, when we even look at something or talk about creativity, it's this recombination of things that maybe didn't exist, but it's of things that were already there. And maybe this is a new way or a slightly new way of doing things, but it's not going to be completely new. So any ideas that I would share in a book, we could say they are mine in a way, but they're very much not mine. I've been influenced and learned from so many people and anything I come to a conclusion or an understanding is based on those variety of things I've been exposed to even being part of a culture you get exposed to ideas unconsciously that you might not be aware of so we can get very fixed on who said this or who came up with this idea or who invented something the same thing even happens in science and with things like inventions where say okay so and so invented this thing and that's amazing and they did it and yes we can give them some credit they likely made some advances but whatever they made was based on the science the knowledge the blood sweat and tears of thousands or millions of other people who contribute to things that then they were able to use uh, to make whatever it was standing on the shoulder of giants so to speak so um, I, I while at the same time I recognize that each of us because of being ourselves will have some perspective that I think can be worth sharing with others and that's what I, I would be hoping to do is to recognize that they're not necessarily my ideas but in my brain and in my experience they've come to a certain place that then that I would share and the theme of the book also will include this concept that no one has all the answers something that I talk about on the air that 
sometimes we wish or hope that there's someone that has figured it out. And religion even is definitely one form of that, even in a larger type of a way of figuring out all aspects of life. But we often turn to these intellectual figures to give us all the answers, to do the thinking for us, and to remove the uncertainty that is part of our human experience but is uncomfortable and gives us anxiety, to look for someone to tell us they figured it all out, that they know the truth, and because of that we can just follow them and know that we're following them into the light. We don't have to even think about it anymore. And so to me, this is not true, not realistic at all. We create these types of relationships with someone who wants to be seen as this guru or God who knows everything, and we uh, then can feel safe to follow them. So it's symbiotic that it's that type of a win-win, but really it isn't because neither one of us is being realistic in that exchange. And so because of that, there could be this feeling that either you have all the answers and you have all the answers, then you should share them and everyone should listen to you and listen to everything you have to say, or you don't know anything and have enough to say. And I think that's unfortunate because what then happens is, one, we blindly follow some people that we shouldn't, but also others either don't think they have anything to share and so might not share anything with us, or we might not think we should listen to them because we think, well, either you're the knower or you don't know. And if you don't know, then why would I listen to you? And so in thinking of, of writing a book, and even when I do this show, I don't come on the air thinking I have figured it all out or know something for sure that I have to share with you. But I will share some thoughts, insights of things that I have accumulated or that come to me in this moment. And so because of that, there's something for me to share, even if it isn't some type of absolute truth or it means that I know there's no other way of thinking about it. Sometimes I actually just want to share a way of thinking about something. And I would hope that if you're listening to it, you will reflect on it and not take it in as, well, then that's the truth, but as a perspective that you can then reflect on and come to your own conclusion. Even if I do write a book, or I should say when I write my book, and you read it, I would hope you don't agree with everything I say, because to me that would mean you're not reading it correctly because I'd want you to read it in a way where you reflect and would definitely see some things differently from me. So um, there is that way of viewing it as something that adds to the conversation, which is what I think of when I'm having this show or when I talk about a variety of topics even outside of the show is that it's an ongoing conversation of trying to understand things better. Kind of like how science is in general. It's not that we've uh, scientists in any field can say we found the truth but they are going closer, trying to get closer to whatever that truth is, knowing that it's an ongoing process. They're never done, but it doesn't mean they don't talk or they don't share the information. They say, here's where we are at today. This is our best understanding, but it definitely isn't going to be our best understanding. Maybe even a month from now, let alone a year or 10 years from now, we will be adding to that. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't share what's happening in the meantime. And so I thought, you know, let me share that in, in another format. But so wanted to mention that because throughout the show um, at different times I may bring up topics that are going to likely be in the book. Um, sometimes I'll mention it, sometimes I won't. And also, uh, you know, I've been doing the show, as I just mentioned, close to nine years now. And so over that time, there's topics that I maybe even forgot I talked about. And so if you've listened to the show for some time and listened to me, I'd be happy to hear of things that themes you've heard me talk about that you find interesting or might have been meaningful for you because I'm 
uh, in a way I'm asking for your help here uh, just to, to see what it is that you've learned from me because I might have forgotten some of the things I've said as well um, but looking forward to sharing more of that with you and I also wanted to mention it uh, today because it's been on my mind it's something I just maybe it's been two weeks or so I've been really thinking about seriously um, and started working on but as I mentioned before there's a a good type of pressure and accountability you you get with others and so I um, wanted to mention that in that way to keep me accountable to work towards this new project that I'm uh, have in mind all right let's go to a commercial break studio number 3104410555 we'll be right back welcome back studio number 3104410555 let's go to a caller radio hamra you're on the air Hello. Hi, Dr. Lukri. Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Yes, and I need help about borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. And um, I mean, like 60% BP, uh, BPD, and 40% NPD. Okay, is this about yourself yes, when you say 60%, 40%? No. This spouse. You're you're saying your husband is has borderline. And... I, yes. Okay. Okay. So, what are the best way? Actually, is my wife, and mm-hmm. I just want to get advice. Okay. And um, because we have been married for thirty-eight years, and early on, I didn't know what's going on, and it's about a year and a half which I found out the problem that she's suffering from mm-hmm. and um, you know at the same time that I feel sorry that I'm unable to help her but there are some effects on myself yeah. um, I have a childhood PTSD which I have dealt with there through MDR um, and uh, so I don't know what kind of behavior I can have. And uh, at the same time, uh, my children are grown up, but nobody gets uh, want to have any relationship with her. Hmm. Uh, because, and mainly because of that, uh, BPD. Yeah. And uh, so I need advice for myself and for my children. Okay. Yeah. Um so you know you're saying bpd borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder and often when we look at the personality disorders people will have features of more than one or might even meet the my diagnosis of of more than one and that something you're you're asking when you're saying how to behave or about your relationship with her what's difficult yes. as i'm sure it seems like you're you're self-aware, but also share for people listening, is that individuals with borderline personality disorder and also narcissistic personality disorder, but especially borderline personality disorder, can be difficult to be in a relationship with, and not just romantic relationship, but they have a hard time with relationships in general. They have, at times, will be, um, will idealize and then devalue people. They can have a difficult time with boundaries, they can feel threatened that they're going to be abandoned in in what might seem like a small 
instance might make them feel that they are going to be abandoned. And I know you said that, you know, there's also narcissistic and, and there could be some signs there. You could share what, what you see there, what has been seen, but individuals who are borderline can also come off narcissistic because they can seem very self-focused. It's just that they're so emotionally uh, having a hard time containing their own feelings that it could be difficult for them to think of someone else's feelings at times. Now, I'm making some generalizations and like any type of issue or disorder, there's a huge spectrum of where people fall, uh, how severe it is and how it shows up. Um, the way you described it that you said you didn't know till I think it's like a year and a half ago, does that mean that a year and a half ago was she seeing a psychologist or psychiatrist that gave these diagnoses or it was something that you became aware of a year and a half ago? No. I, well, actually, my children become aware. Okay. And they, uh, they showed me some YouTube and uh, I started reading about it and um, read uh, Walking on eggshells mm-hmm. um, and uh, so and I did some tests that um, I found out that first I thought it was NPD but uh, when I look at it in detail uh, it was more uh, BPD uh-huh. okay and now have you talked to your wife about these things that you're, you and your children no, discussed no okay. because um, because very dangerous. That's, uh, you know, those kind of people. Uh, 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 that's what I've been told. That's what I've seen on different, uh, you know, research that one should never tell them. Well, because yeah. they don't want to hear that. It, it depends. But yes, I mean, of course, most people are not going to want to hear that we think they have some diagnosis or some personality disorder. But individuals who have borderline personality disorder as you mentioned you can feel like you're walking on eggshells or that they can be uh, have big mood swings or big reactions and so often it can be even more difficult to share with them some you know some concern or something that we notice in them so i can understand that you haven't uh, told her now um what's i'm wondering you know you're saying you just became aware of this or your children made you aware of it I, I'm yeah. assuming you saw things in her and just thought, okay, that's how she is. But that means for 36, 37 years, you were, were living with her. And did you think any of these things that she has some? Yeah, go ahead. I didn't know anything about yeah. NPD or uh, BPD. And um, my children were telling me that uh, about narcissism. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't see narcissism, so um, I was thinking of other stuff, you know, yeah. depression, anxiety, or maybe PTSD. Um, and I was doing research and reading on that those area. Uh, but um, after this, uh, you know, I'm hundred percent sure that it's a BPD. Okay. You know, she has all the symptoms and all that. And as all other BPD, uh, they think there is nothing wrong with them. They don't want to go to a therapist. Um, During these years, I've gone, both of us, to therapists um, together. And um, she, she, she doesn't like it. 
she said, there is nothing wrong with me. It's all wrong with you. Uh, why should I go? So uh, I know that um, she is not willing to go to any therapist. Okay. She doesn't think there is anything wrong with her. Okay. Um, and, you know, you mentioned you feel like she has all the symptoms of borderline personality disorder. Can you share with me some of what you've seen that makes you feel so sure? Well, um, she can be okay, and then a minute later, uh, she can be very mad and, uh, you know, very aggressive. And um, at the same time, you know, later on, she forgets that she was that way. Mm -hmm. Or the kids call and she starts insulting them and the kids hang up the phone. And uh, she doesn't understand, you know, in any way I'm explaining to her, well, if you don't insult them, they don't hang up the phone. But, uh, you know, mm -hmm. either she blames me that I have said bad things about her to them and that's why they are doing, or uh, she said that um, I'm not a man. Uh, I'm not a man. And um, I don't know how to um, discipline them. You know, he says, if you discipline them since childhood, this would have not happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I study here when I was 18 in U.S. And um, I never believed in disciplining that way. I believed that uh, you know, I have to be at their side, not push them to do anything, but mm -hmm. explain them, you know. So the kids have raised that way with me, but at the same time, because of the putting them down many, many times, and still she is doing it, uh, they have suffered from this. Mm -hmm. They have suffered um, in the way that they have they've had very low self-esteem and um, I have worked on them. The oldest one, uh, I think I've helped him to overcome that. The second one is I'm still working but he has sufficient improvement but the third one is suffering very bad okay how old are the kids um 31 uh, 29 and uh, 21 okay uh so yeah i can understand your concern for for your children and some of what you shared about her could could fall under borderline uh, it could be other things as well. I'm, I'm assuming there's more, obviously, than just those things you mentioned. But I, you're right also, something you said before, that people with borderline personality disorder are less likely to want to hear that some things, that they have that or they might not see the problem, which is a big issue And even our conversation now is that if she, you, she doesn't see a problem or think that she needs any help, it does limit what you can do. You can try to 
you know, work with the kids in your own ways or talk to them, but that's separate. And they're of course adults now. Um, are there other things like, does she get violent or aggressive? Has she threatened suicide? Things like that, because those are also common in borderline personality disorder. Has she displayed any of those types of symptoms? Okay, before I answer that, sure. Um, actually, my therapist have met her uh, and um, three or four years ago, and she told me after um, the therapist told me that uh, she has BPD, borderline personal disorder. At the time, I didn't accept it uh, till about a year ago. Uh, so that's as far as the diagnosis go. Mm -hmm. uh, from a therapist who has met her, talked to her, and um, she has told me, um, "Your, I'm sorry, I forgot." That's your okay. Question. And you know, and, and my asking these questions is not to say that I obviously don't know if she doesn't have it. I'm just trying to get a better sense of. Uh, when you say you're so certain, it seems like there must be many of the symptoms that she's displayed yes. for you to get to that point. Um, but I was asking if she's done anything like th either threatening suicide or attempted suicide. No. Okay. Or any other no. violence or aggression? Uh, yes, she has. And um, I think I've taken some steps uh, to control that. And... Um, no violence at this time or mm -hmm. for the last year and a half uh, but um, put down and always i'm guilty always it's my fault and that's uh, very hard on me and it's very hard on my children okay um so look we're, we're ba basically at a commercial break here but i know we're just in some ways getting started and I do want to know more about the situation, what's going on, and I know you wanted some advice on what to do, and I want you to, to think about what specifically it is you're looking for as far as advice goes, because in what you're expressing, it even seems like you're saying it yourself, that she is the way that she is, and it's not that that's, you're expecting that's going to change, and so it's not likely that if you act in a different way, she's going to act so differently, but we can explore what can be done or what your options are or what you want to do so let's that's uh, what I want okay sure so well, yeah we'll, we'll go to the commercial break and after the break we can uh, talk some more and see that's what right. okay we'll be right back welcome back before the break we were with the caller let's go back to them now caller are you still there yes yes okay so before the break you were sharing about your wife who um you are pretty confident has borderline personality disorder, possibly also narcissistic personality disorder. You have three adult children. And when we started, you were saying you wanted some type of advice of how to best deal with her or what you could do. And as I mentioned before the break, I wanted to get a sense of what it is you'd like to figure out because as you're... Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, the thing is that what you said about uh, she's not going to change... So I understand that, and I'm expect uh, I'm not expecting anything on that okay. matter. But I I need help for myself how to deal with it, and I need help for advice for my children. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to add two more things. Sure. Uh, 
um, is that uh, she cannot have a close friend because m- during these many, many years, she has had a couple of close friends and they have been very good to her. But if they do one act that she doesn't like, then relationship is gone forever. And um, the children suffered that because, you know, they were playing with the children of those family and after she breaks with them, then they couldn't play with those Mm -hmm. kids anymore. And it doesn't matter if it's friend, if it's brother or sister of her or, uh, you know, that's the way uh, she is. And, uh, like, one more thing, she accuses people, like, for stealing or things like that. And then later on, she finds that that was not true. And she doesn't go and, um, you know, apologize mm-hmm. or tell them sorry. You know, she she never wants to say sorry or I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just want to add yeah. those two. But, yeah, I want... Uh, for myself because it brings my mood down you know and I know I cannot do anything about it uh, as far as hair goes uh, so I was wondering Dr. Hulaku if you can give me advice for myself and advice how I can help my children well before um, I give you advice maybe you can give some it's not advice, but some understanding of the way you're describing her by your own accounts of how she is. You've been married to her 38 years. So how how have you done it these 38 years? Um, I think um, I've been always it was her way, and I accepted it. That's how. I've done it, you know, particularly when the children were smaller, I knew that there is, uh, you know, there is no sense of arguing with her. So I should, um, you know, accept that. That's, um, and at the same time, I was trying to find out what's going on and how I can help her. And, um, in any way, I tried, you know, to meet therapists, through friends, through all faith. But since I found out since about a year and a half ago about BPD, um, then I understood why I wasn't able to help her. So since then, I try not to trigger her mm-hmm. in any way. Um, and it's been really difficult for me. Well, and it, although it does seem like you, the way you're describing things, you in general were trying not to trigger her or make her upset and make it, you know, things be her way. It, it does seem like this diagnosis, it changed your perspective in a way from maybe I can help her, maybe something can change into, oh, there's nothing that can be done. And that created a big paradigm shift for you. It, is that what changed for you before you were thinking you could help her and 
possibly because of that yes. felt like you were failing because you thought I should be able to help her and I, I can't, but now you've changed that feeling? Yes, Dr. Holofku. Okay. So, so it's changed from I can help her, I just haven't done enough or figured it out, which likely is related to your own sense of your role in your family growing up. I know you mentioned something about PTSD. I don't know if it's related to family situation or outside of that. But nonetheless, there seems to be that you were accustomed to this role at some level to accept it because it was more than 30 years of somehow I'm supposed to fix the problem. I can put my own feelings or my wants away and I have to find the solution. But now your feeling or this realization of her diagnosis makes you shift to think, okay, I can't help her, so now how do I just manage staying with her or manage this relationship? Is that essentially what we're looking at? Yes, sir. Okay, so let me ask you, what when you look at yourself at being in this type of a relationship where you're saying you just try to, you know, have it be her way, do you see yourself as having this um, either character of trying to make sure the other person is okay or... Can you see in your own childhood having that role of putting your own feelings aside to make sure others were okay? Tell me what, if any of that relates to what you experienced in your life. I think uh, my problem maybe is this. Uh, I am a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And um, when somebody is not happy with me, um, I don't feel good, mm -hmm. and um, but I'm at the age that I have had some wishes that I I want to uh, accomplish in my life. Like um, I've been working to write a novel for twenty years, and I've collected all the information. I've taken courses, but. Being with her doesn't allow me to write this. And it's very important for me because um, to write this novel and um, because I think I, it's my responsibility toward my father and toward the very good people who have been executed for no logic reason. Okay. Um, so you're saying you've had this, or you've been working on it for 20 years, but this goal of writing a novel. Um, and now these things are complicated, and I'm going to bring up some issues, and I don't know a truth. So I might ask some questions, not that I know, sure. but I hope you're open to, to looking at it from different perspectives, because sure. sometimes... Something like writing a novel. I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show, but I actually would, am working on a book where I just started yes, two weeks yes, ago. I so, heard it. yeah, good so, luck. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I know that how I've had ideas and thoughts of doing lots of different things. And so, in writing a novel, it is such a big undertaking that people very often do put it off in a variety of ways, and we might even unconsciously find a reason or excuse that we we put it off. And so. Could there be something where I have to make sure she's okay gave you a type of distraction that allowed you to have a reason not to go forward with 
writing this. And in saying that, it doesn't mean that consciously you don't want to write it. I'm sure right now you're thinking, oh, you don't know how much I've wanted to write this. I get that. But I'm sure there's an anxiety underneath, too, of writing and actually finishing and releasing this this novel that you have in your mind. So tell me what well, comes to your mind about that. Well, um, I, I have gone through those, but I've started, I've written the plot, I've written all the character, I've uh, you know, uh, no, and actually I've written the first 10 page and uh, I guess in the next 30 days probably I finished the first 50 page of the novel. Great. And so uh, I don't want to put any blame on her mm-hmm. now uh, that I started writing it. But okay. the thing is that um, I'm with my kids right now, and so uh, my mind is free. I can easily write the novel. But if I go back there, then with her, um, it's going to be very difficult, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for me to write that. So I need some advice, you know, what can I do? Because I'm not thinking of divorce. I um, So I will be staying with her. But staying with her, I don't mean staying in the same place. Um, because there are times that it's really unbearable. I, I cannot handle it. And um, so... I have to come up with the solution that um, without accusing her, without telling her that she needs help, um, just help myself to yeah. be able to accomplish my goals. Well, and and yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're wanting to take that goal and what you want to do seriously and not giving up on that. And, and maybe, as I was saying, hearing the that there's a diagnosis and again i can't say it's there but that you got this what feels like confirmation yeah. it seems like it almost it feels like it gave you a permission to let go a bit more of of trying to help or rescue although you're still holding that to a degree because you're you're almost saying i want to be divorced but without actually getting divorced or i i don't want to get divorced but still have the space from her as if we're not together um and so I don't know if that's still because you feel like it would hurt her if you got a divorce or if it's your own feeling about it. But what what is it for you? And you said, I, I'm not going to get a divorce and I'm not here to tell you you should. But I'm trying well, the way you said it was like it's not even on the table for you. Yeah, that's my personal problem because of the promise I have given to my mother. It's really crazy, but okay, uh, that's why why it is what's because, what's the uh, promise I you made prom- yeah. yeah what was the promise you made to your mother and is she still living she is not anymore okay but when she was living i i noticed that you know early on that there is something wrong you know after one year or one year and a half and she she asked me that uh, you gotta stay in this relationship and go through all the pain. And because I promised that 
I feel guilty. Hmm. I I want to break up. So your your mother said that you were telling your mother the re- relation the marriage is painful or that your wife was you know whatever it was that she was doing and your mom said you have to just go through the pain and you can't get yes. divorced and you said okay. I did. And how long ago was that? Thirty-six years ago. Okay. And so I could understand a promise made to your mother who's no longer with us can feel very, very significant, but it can be difficult to say that a conversation that you had 36 years ago should write the story of the rest of your life. Well, there is a second concern or fear that I have. Okay. Um, I, I've read and um, many articles from the uh, psychiatrists that uh, and psychologists that divorcing from somebody who has BPD uh, it brings more pain and it doesn't relieve people from uh, you know, situation gets much worse. Well, it, it's, you know, they yeah. don't want any abandonment. So, sure, uh, any kind of abandonment can trigger uh, to hurt the children, to hurt me, and all that. Yeah. Well, that's that. I mean, look, divorce rarely is clean and not ugly, but it can be even uglier with someone who is even more afraid of abandonment and, and you've mentioned some of the things you've noticed in her so I can understand that that would um, not be likely easy especially to begin with and I don't know what would happen afterward um, but we also don't want you to feel like you're held hostage in that way either and sometimes initially it'd be it could be very very difficult and even more difficult with the way you've described your wife but it likely won't always say that way now I am still feeling that I don't want to, to stop our conversation there because you brought up two important things about what might stop you from going ahead with divorce, which I don't want to say is the, the path, but when we close off an option that might make sense, at least at some level seems to make sense, it, it can make it hard for us to find another path or to make the best decision. So let's continue the conversation if if you're able let's talk some more about this sense of what's happening because a lot of what you're saying what can i do some of what you're saying is how do i just stay out of her way enough that i can still do my thing um and maybe that's possible especially with the kids being older and not having to co-parent them as directly i'm i know you're still involved in their lives but they're not young children where you every day have to make many decisions about them so it could be possible but i'd like for us to have some time to explore that a little bit more of of what we can do or what you can do um, to allow you to live your life because that's what you're realizing is that being a people pleaser as you described yourself you likely didn't get to live or didn't let yourself live your life for a long time and you don't want to let that happen anymore or you don't want to live the rest of your life without living it for yourself so we'll put you back on hold and we'll bring you on after the break okay okay doctor all right we'll be right back Back, Guru, with the caller before the break. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? 
Yes, sir. Okay. I hope you wrote a few pages of the novel during the the commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. I I I really do uh, encourage you, and we'll get into like what will get you to to finish the book. But before we get there, as I mentioned before the break, um, wanted to see what your you know these limitations. You have you mentioned two things. One was the promise you gave your mother to not get divorced, to just bear whatever the pain is, uh, sacrifice and and just stay married. And the second one was things you've read that individuals who are who have borderline personality disorder, if you divorce them, it makes things even worse. So uh, you felt that, that discourages you from doing that. And so I mentioned about the first one, I can understand you. it's a very common part of our culture, unfortunately, that divorce is just bad no matter what, and staying married is, is good no matter what. And if you even suffer within that marriage and you're even a better person, uh, even though that leads to a lot of unhealthy things for ourselves and even our, our kids in those marriages. Um, and the second one, as I mentioned, divorce is always a challenging process. And yes, if someone has abandonment issues and can be emotionally up and down, and you've mentioned insulting and things that you've experienced, I would imagine that the divorce would be even less, less ugly, more ugly than gen- general divorce would be or a typical divorce. So I can understand you are concerned about that. But what other options do you even see as possible? You basically said to be together, but not together. I wasn't sure what you were implying, like to live separately from her, but to stay married or what options yes. do you have in mind? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. To find a practical way that, you know, we stay together, but not at the same place. Um, you know, a practical way. Well, one thing I want to add. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I was curious to take my DNA and find out, you know, how many percent uh, I am Persian. Mm-hmm. And I found out that 88% I'm Persian. Uh-huh. And some Turkish and some other... But anyhow, and um, in our family, I don't know any aunt, uncle, or something who has got divorced. Mm-hmm. And in DNA of the, maybe that's my, um, I might be wrong, but in DNA of Persian, um, it's, um, it comes from the Yashtarian belief that the uh, Yashtarian um, believe that divorce is the worst sin, and well, I mean, I'll, I'll a few things come to mind. One is that maybe that twelve percent of you could file for divorce if you if that is the case. <laughs> but the other the other thing is even if the, you know what you're saying has some the eighty eight percent, and then in my understanding, I know things. There are some things about. Uh, epigenetics and ways that what we do affects our genes in certain ways but I wouldn't see it as a the belief or the wrongness of divorce would get passed down in this way genetically and that it would I mean you know affect your getting divorced it's going to be hard no matter what whatever percent uh, Iranian you were or aren't it's it's going to be a tough thing or would be a tough thing and so um I wouldn't take that to mean any reason to do it or not to do it at all. Maybe you're saying that makes you even more afraid of it or see it as even more wrong. Um, but what you seem to be implying is to have a 
divorce in every way except for on paper. So you basically divorce, but stay married on paper, but live separately. Is that essentially what you're suggesting? Yes, but at the same time to have a, a good relationship. Well, it you doesn't, know? you know, I would say, why start now when you say have a good relationship? It doesn't seem like you've had a good relationship um, for, you know, these 38 but as years. as long as I am in the same house, definitely the relationship is yeah. not going to be good. Well, well, yeah, that's what I mean. It does seem like you're saying, let's just say we're married, but not be married, basically. Um, and when you're talking, when you say abandonment, if you live separately, that might bring up let's say not as extreme as divorce but some more of these types of concerns so do you think there's any way of her wanting this or being okay with this saying let's just live no okay no she's not she's not so yeah that makes my job harder because um that kind of abandonment uh, causes more problem for my kids and for myself so somehow i have to play games and uh, you know yeah but that, i mean i think that's going to be i don't know if that's going to work in a long long term um and look i know you're saying it's going to be bad if you you think it'll be bad if you get a divorce it doesn't seem like things are good staying together now could it be worse possibly probably it would be much worse for a little while like when it's happening the divorce and the process and then afterwards you know it'd be different and really I, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what to do but it seems like you're saying you want a divorce if you could if you thought you could do it and I don't want to say easily because you, you maybe would accept that it's hard but if you thought it was possible to get through the divorce you would do it you just don't think you can so you're trying to figure out a way of of yeah you know I don't know spending some nights at one kid's house I, I, what is it even you're you're thinking of when you say playing games what would that look like I, I was thinking of uh, living in RV and traveling. Okay. And um, so that's a good excuse for me not to be there, but, you know. And then, you know, work on my novel, work on other things because I have more free time. And then visit her, you know, maybe a week or two. And then continue the travel. Now, do you want to do that? Do you does that idea appeal to you? If it wasn't for what's happening in your marriage, hello. I have oh. doubt to okay. answer you, <laughs> yes or no, okay. because I've had that. Um, I love to do that. Yes. Okay. And um, since she doesn't like that kind of travel mm -hmm. uh, I have uh, I have abandoned doing that oh, I yeah. have stopped myself from doing that because I really enjoy traveling and seeing more different people different culture dealing with them have communication because I always learn and I enjoy okay. you know yeah. Well, okay. So you said, but why did you hesitate to answer? It seems like you're saying yes. To traveling? 
Well, to you doing know, this, t- I was saying, would you want to do this, uh, you know, going in an RV and traveling if it wasn't for your situation with your wife? And you said, I hesitate to say yes. Uh, because of my health, you know, mm. my age and my health. So I, I have to consider that very carefully that, um, or maybe I have to research that to see and do it in a way that it doesn't affect my health. So what what's going on with your health? Oh, I have so many problems. I take like, maybe 20 pills a day. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, um, and uh, I need to be in contact with the doctors and... Um, Fortunately, I can see them remotely and through Skype and all that, but uh, that's something of concern, Yeah, uh, you know, that if I'm traveling alone and I need some help, that help is not going to be there. What are some of the more serious concerns when you say you have 20 medications a day or 20 pills a day? What are some of the more serious medical concerns that you have um they some diabetic some um cholesterol and uh, like four blood pressure medicine um and um and then dealing with the charged with PTSD because also the EMDR has helped me and to identify where is it coming Mm -hmm. but the trigger still exists you know what that's what one of other problem because I've explained that to my wife what triggers it and uh, one therapist has explained it to her, but I, I didn't know before why she doesn't understand it. But mm-hmm. now I know that she's unable to understand. And if I may ask, what is it that triggers your PTSD? Scream. Scream. If a uh-huh. small child screams or if an adult screams, yeah. it triggers. I go to shutdowns. Yeah, and I mean, what's heartbreaking is it seems like you uh, ended up either we can say you chose unconsciously or but you're with a partner who does that often from what you've described and yes. so that's really difficult and when you talk about being uh, describing yourself as a people pleaser uh, you know there's going to be lots of elements to that but if screaming and people raising their voice in that type of conflict is so scary for you if it's PTSD then of course it could be tremendously scary for you then it can make sense that you want to make sure the other person is okay and you'll sacrifice yourself to just keep the peace because it means so much for you because it's so scary when that peace goes well, away. Before EMDR, yeah. I, I didn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But after EMDR, I know. And then uh, I take action. I mean, I know that after it happens, either I have to sleep two hours, I have to, you know rest 
back to the normal. Well, that's that's. I'm very glad that you've become aware of it and also became aware of what to do afterwards. But at the same time, you know, a bigger part of that awareness or dealing with this would be preventing it from happening. So, you know, you're telling me if I if I slip and fall, I know exactly what to do, put the ice here, do that. But well, maybe you shouldn't walk in that place that you keep slipping and getting hurt. So that's not that you have to keep healing from this, because then your process becomes like a survival of just you get hurt and you find a way to deal with it. But that's obviously not what we'd want for you is that you know what to do when you get hurt. We'd want you to get away from the thing that's hurting you or to prevent the thing that hurts you. So I am I think it's great that you've done that work to understand it, become aware of it, learn how to deal with it when it comes up. But what we want to do is limit those whens of how often it's it's happening to you. And yeah, if the way you're describing your wife, it's um, could be hard for her to contain her feelings and the way she expresses it. But you keep getting hurt and probably thought it wasn't because either she loved you enough or because you couldn't figure out a way to get her to stop or something that you had to solve it. But I, I think this getting these diagnoses for you was like a uh, it took a weight off of your shoulders of feeling that okay I don't it's not me it's her and I don't have to figure it out or it wasn't my inability or weakness to solve this it's it wasn't my problem to solve in the first place exactly right yeah and so that's where I'm seeing you now is that you know this the RV idea it seems like it has a romantic appeal to it it sounds and it could be good but from what you're describing you're not even sure you have the physical capability to feel comfortable just being gone and you would be going and I think it would still give her a feeling of abandonment if you decide to travel most of the time. I don't think she's going to, she would like that. Now, maybe you're saying, yeah, I found a way to travel that she doesn't like, so I can tell her I want to do this. You can give that a try. Um I don't know if there could be a pulling a Band-Aid kind of a feeling of you might have to go through some kind of separation from her that will likely be painful and then on the other side have more of this freedom to do what you want. And even when you told me about the the health concerns that you've had, of course, I'm going to give a simplistic answer because I only have been speaking with you for just a little bit of time to really know you fully. But it almost seems like your body, you've put yourself through so much because you hold so much in. You haven't gotten to live for yourself and do things for yourself. I could see your body carrying a lot of that stress of what you've experienced. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And so that's why I hope you'll realize that this way of living that has been so much for other people, even your, your mom basically telling you be a martyr you know, in this marriage and you feeling that now you almost owe it to your wife and to your mom to not let them down, but that you're being lost in all of this. How do I deal with that myself? Well, how do I deal with me? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, if you decide whatever you decide to do, let's say if you did get a a divorce or if you do separate in whatever way you do, I'm sure for most people, a guilt will come, but for you, I would expect even more guilt will come because you feel that you're supposed to be a people pleaser and make other people okay, so how could I hurt someone? But I think what I would want you to realize is, one, you deserve to be happy and to get to live your life, and two, it's not like you're making your wife happy by staying with her. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it could be that it would be worse or slightly worse, but it's not that you're going to make her feel really good the way you're describing what's what's going on, and it was never your responsibility to to fix what she's going through or to overcome that. Um, and I know it's easier said than done to say uh, end a marriage after 38 years, and I'm not even saying I could make that decision for you, but I wouldn't want you to close that off. Uh, and I hope when you think of writing your novel, of living your life for yourself, of relieving yourself of some of this pain that you you seem to feel that you have to carry all on your own that those things would motivate you and inspire you to take some actions that won't be easy and won't be comfortable for anyone but especially for you with the people pleaser mindset that you described uh, but I hope you will be you know maybe motivated even by who's going to read this the novel that you are going to write it won't get into their hands until you overcome this that you you make this decision to live more for yourself. I don't know. Let me ask you this. What do your children suggest? I'm sorry, what? What do your, your, what do your children suggest that you do? No, they support me. To do what? To... Uh, to the RV living. And, because one of the things is that uh, before I was thinking of traveling alone, you know, going... Um, to East Coast and all that, but now I think because one lives uh, in Northern California, two live in Southern California, I, I can be close to them, you know, and okay. live in the RV. Well, I mean, look, the, as I said, the RV. I understand it's an option, and I'm. I definitely can't make the decision for you, but I wouldn't want you to make the decision based just off of fear of the reaction or fear of what's going to happen and to feel that almost you have to live your life in hiding, you know, and just you can't even be in the home to get what you want. You know, it's almost like you're still not giving yourself that right to, to live your full life. If you really do want to live in the RV, great, but I don't get the sense that that's what you want, especially not long term. It could be a short term thing you do like a trip, but I don't see that the way you mentioned it as this is what I want for my life. It seems like you want to have the space to, to live for yourself and to write your novel and those things. And I would also suggest no matter what's going on to write your novel, again, you're not going to make your wife happy even if you're living in the home with her. So she's upset, she's going through things. Don't put that pressure or that responsibility that you have to constantly make sure she's okay. You can write your novel. But I really hope you'll listen to yourself and what you actually want, not what's going to make sure everyone else is, is okay. Well, I mean, I agree with you that uh, for long term, no. I, that's what I was thinking. Uh, maybe just for three years. For the next three years, I live that's, in RV. <laughs> that's a and, long time. Uh, I mean, look, you're you're the one that would have to do it, and I, I'm not saying don't do it, but three years is not short. And maybe you're hoping that'll just lead to things transitioning into just not being together. I'm not sure if that's. Well, you're hoping, but no, that's a long I, time. I want to write my two novels. I, I okay. want to write two novels, and um, this is much, you know, I want to make sure before I die, I've written this. Yeah, I, I want and you to I do I know it. my audience, and I know what kind of effects I want to have, and I've been doing a lot of research how, and I have to do it. 
Yeah, so that's yeah. That's my most important goal okay. for the rest of my life. And I hope you'll make that a priority in whatever way you know you you can do it. But even in your calling today, I don't know. You know, as we're wrapping up, you know, I know you wanted advice, and but was advice of going into the RV or doing those things? Or what do you think you were? Because sometimes people call, and the sense I get is it's almost like a permission to do something or approval to do something. What do you think you were hoping to get from this phone call? I was hoping that, you know, with uh, your knowledge, maybe you can show me, uh, you know, uh, in my situation, I mean, if you were in my situation or if somebody else is in my situation, what would be his option? Well, well, I think you you know them. And so, um, and there's no with the knowledge to say it's the easy thing to do or that to make it work in a way of just, because some of what you're saying is how do I stay in the marriage but stay out of the marriage or stay in the marriage and do what I want if, if with some kind of knowledge or awareness. But I don't think that's possible. As I said, you're going to be the one that will, will make the decision. But the most important thing for me is that you don't forget yourself in this decision, that your wife likely won't like a lot of things you decide to do. Maybe the RV is a good trial for yourself, reflect on, and maybe you get what you want. But the being a people pleaser that you described, realizing that it's not a strategy that lives, that works out for you or even the people around you. And that's what I hope you will, will keep in mind in whatever you decide to do. And I, I don't want you to say your name. You can even message me or write me some way just to let me know your name so I look for your novel hopefully in the near future. <laughs> I, I really mean that, but I hope you'll dedicate yourself to living your life for yourself. You know, it's kind of like being the author of your own life, that you get to write it for yourself, not living it for only other people. It's going to be in English, so okay. it's going to be easy for you to... Beautiful, that, that I'll get to read it. But you, yeah, as you said, now it's up to you to make sure you write it and write it soon, because we, we never know how long we do have. We always think it's some yeah. later time. But so I, I wish you yeah. the best with that, but I hope you won't forget yourself and whatever you decide to do. Dr. Holakui, yes. when can I hear the repeat of your... This show, uh, I'll upload it tonight to my own uh, podcast so you can hear it there. Uh, okay. Yeah. Thank you very Pleasure much. Pleasure talking to you. Good best luck. of luck. Take care. Thank you. All right. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. With the previous scholar, lots of different themes came up, um, but one that he himself mentioned that he was a people pleaser, he saw himself in that way. And it's a very common place for many people to be. Now, to begin with, of course, we want to be agreeable in the sense that we can have conversations with people that disagree with us or we care what other people think. But when we look at what a people pleaser would be, is someone who can be so preoccupied with making sure that other people around them are okay, that they sacrifice their own feelings, their own wants, or whatever is on their mind to make sure that the other person is okay. And this happens so automatically that we don't realize we're doing it. So generally, if you ask a people pleaser if they sacrifice in some way oftentimes in the moment they won't realize it you say hey we want i want to go here and they say yeah let's go it sounds great and then if you ask them to say you know did you really want to do that they'll say oh yeah of course it sounds like fun i've never done this or 
or I want to do that or whatever the thing may be, they'll find a way to justify it. And they might even believe it. They're not always just even lying to you. They could be lying to themselves. But often later, or if things keep happening in a certain way, they'll start to build a resentment towards the person, or they might just build a general resentment because they don't get their way or get the things they want. And so that then leads to uh, issues in their relationships and just issues that they have internally or with themselves. And so something I've uh, recognized is that people pleaser sounds obviously very pleasant. It has pleasing in it, sounds like a good thing, but people pleasers are actually not pleasant people to be in relationships with, or they have their own challenges being in a relationship. And so this is not talking about our previous caller not being someone pleasant to be in a relationship with, but when we look at the extremes of being a people pleaser, it's very difficult to be in a relationship with them because you don't know what's what's on their mind, what's going on with them. It's hard to have a very close relationship with them because one of the things that leads to emotional intimacy is sharing. And of course, not just sharing the good, but sharing also the bad. If you think of the people that you're closest with, you feel a very tight bond with, it's almost always going to be people you've shared some bad moments with or uh, you've had arguments with or you've had some kind of a moment where you either broke down or they broke down to you and showed you that they were not okay and shared those unpleasant types of experiences with one another but if you are coming from a people pleaser mindset you will avoid all of those things because what you learned sadly from a young age is that people like you for always being good or happy or making us feel good or for being easy. And so because of that, you've internalized the sense that that's why I'm loved. That's why people will like me. um, And that's what will make me allowed to stay with someone or for someone to stay with me. And as the caller also mentioned, there could be something related to how we experienced conflict. So conflict is... uh, a challenging part of human relationships, but a necessary one. And so if we avoid conflict, we avoid closeness. And so in many families, unfortunately, conflict is not modeled in a healthy way at all. What we often see is two extremes, um, avoiding the conflict completely so everyone hides their feelings. And then on the other side, having these ugly blow-up types of conflicts that are very scary. And sometimes they're related. People hold things in so much that when they finally have a a conflict, it is ugly and scary and aggressive. And so it makes them even more frightful for the people who are either in the conflict itself or, let's say, children who are exposed to the type of conflict we're talking about. And so if you've seen conflict as this very scary thing and seen the scary side of conflict, then we could understand it will almost create this alarm system in you to avoid conflicts from starting. So you don't want to let it get to the point where it gets really scary. So any sense or feeling of disagreement between you and someone else, and often even with others, because you don't want their conflict to then scare you or to get to that place, will lead you to try to quell the situation, try to make things more calm. So you you see the tension arise, and you know you say something and the person doesn't like it and you might say oh no no it's okay actually forget about it and i didn't mean that just you know no that's fine and you just take away your own feelings so you can see you've 
put away your feeling completely to make sure the other person is okay. Why? Because what you have internalized is this equation that my feelings, as far as in the moment what I want or, or need, is less important than avoiding conflict. And so because of that, if I share, first of all, I might not share a lot of things if I think the person might not like them, but even if I do or I begin to and I notice or I think I'm noticing they don't like it, I'd rather put my feeling, my wants, my desires away just to make sure I keep the peace. And so this is why we say that when you avoid the conflict on the outside, unfortunately, what you do is you create a conflict on the inside because now you have to deal with those emotions that come up with you for not getting your needs met, feeling like the other person isn't there for you, but all the while you're the one that doesn't even allow for it to be part of the relationship because of this fear of conflict, because of your tendency to go towards making sure the other person is okay. And so it's easy to say if you're a people pleaser, okay, well just now step up and say what's on your mind. And that's ultimately what you'll have to do. But if you're a people pleaser yourself, or if you know someone who is, it could be good to have this compassion to recognize that it's very scary for someone who is a people pleaser to initiate conflict or to be part of conflict. Almost any people pleaser is going to have a strong fear of conflict. And when we recognize how terrifying it feels for them, we can get a better sense of what might keep them in the space of trying to make sure everyone's okay. No one is mad at me. No one is upset with me. No one's going to get angry. That could be very scary. I'm not going to get angry. Uh, you know, sometimes we talk about being, when we say someone is a people pleaser or someone who avoids the conflicts, we'll say they're kind of like a firefighter in the home. So they're vigilant for fires before they start. And if they do start, they're going to really go strong to try to put out the fire, calm everyone down, make everything okay. And so, of course, if you're a a genuine firefighter, you also, on top of making sure you put out the fires and make sure that the ones that might start don't get too big, you won't be adding fires yourself. And so someone who has this feeling that their role is to make sure everyone is okay, make sure there's no conflicts, they'll also make sure they don't add to those conflicts. So that's why now in their own relationships, it almost doesn't come to their mind to say something that the other person doesn't like or to upset them. But again, unfortunately, they will create a conflict within themselves and they'll create a distance between themselves and anyone that they're relating to or connecting with. Now, in the last segment, we're going into the last commercial break. I'm going to continue on this theme of, of not just being a people pleaser, but the ways that we can at times be commended and the roles we take on. And unfortunately, how it at times will limit us in the ways we live our lives in a variety of ways. So there's ways that we actually might get complimented or praised that actually hurt us in the long run. So let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the last segment, I was talking about uh, people pleasers and avoiding conflict. And in the end of the segment, talking about how we often might get praised for something, but that can turn into a burden. And so um, the way I thought of it is like our uh, the golden star that we're given turns into golden handcuffs and it limits what we can do or what we think we can do or how we can be in the world. So let me give you a, a better understanding of what I mean. And, and the reason why I think this is important is because we often praise our children and we think it's a good thing 
to praise them, which of course it is, but we do have to be aware of how we praise them and recognize that in some ways it can hurt them. It's not just that because praise is positive, it's always good. There can be positives that end up hurting us or things that we think are positive that actually end up to be negative or hurtful. So someone like a people pleaser, someone who avoids conflict, or let's think of a young child who doesn't do anything that bothers us. And so we go up to that child and say, oh, look, look at this child never causes any problem. You're so good. You're an angel. You're the best child in the world. We're so lucky to have you because you never do anything hurtful. You never do anything wrong. And so now you're creating this interesting dynamic in that child. And I'm especially thinking of this if it's repeated over and over again, because obviously it sounds so nice. You're patting them on the head, giving them love, saying you're so good for all, you know, in all these ways. But you're telling them you're so good for being this particular way, which is to not make anything difficult, to not create problems, to probably not show a lot of emotion, not cry, all these types of things that we're telling the child, this is what makes you good. This is what makes you lovable. This is what makes it so that we will keep giving you love and praise. And so they internalize this type of identity that I am this person. I am the pleasant person who never creates a problem. And that's why people love me. And underneath that, sadly, is the sense that if I'm not that person, they won't love me. If you love me because I'm this way, if I lose that, you won't love me. I lose your love. So if you love me for not ever being a problem, if I create a problem, you might not love me anymore. Just like if you tell a kid or an adult, I love you because you are beautiful and you keep talking about their physical appearance. It, it sounds nice, but it also comes with this anxiety that that's something I could lose or if that's not there, then you won't love me anymore. And some people feel that way and some people unfortunately create relationships that are like that. And so if you tell the child over and over again, you're so great because you don't create any problems, you've created this identity that now this gold star is going to feel like golden handcuffs holding them back. They can't live their life fully. They can't even be fully human. I can't express myself because, of course, any human being will express things that we might not like. They might not be pleasant in a moment. There might be conflict. They're going to have negative emotions or feel upset. And now we're telling them you can't do those things or be any of those things, any of those things that are actually part of being a human. And so... This might seem like a extreme or very specific type of, of experience, although I don't think it's so rare. Many people do get this type of a message. Sometimes it'll be much more explicit and clear than others, but you might not realize there's ways that you were praised or you were taught made you good that you've internalized and it becomes a part of your identity that, okay, I am this kind of a person. I'm the person who doesn't get mad or I'm always so smart and so I should know everything and so I should be the one that always is uh, knowledgeable or has the right answer or I've been told I'm so beautiful I was saying before and so I always have to look a certain way and if I don't I'm going to lose that type of love or uh, affection or attention and so there's these ways that we've been praised that actually might hold us back if we cling to it too much because we think that's that's the only way we can get our praise or love or acceptance. And so because of that, we'll be afraid to give that up. So if I'm the person, and this goes back to something like people pleasing, 
of who doesn't make conflict. And they say, oh, it's so nice that you never create any trouble. Now, if I want to create trouble, I have to relinquish this identity and the status that I've been given of being the one who never creates any conflicts or any problems. And that could tend to be very scary and be very anxiety provoking. And this is why when we look at something like personality, I do think there are tendencies. You see, you meet babies and young children, and it seems like there's ways of being that are more comfortable for them or that they're naturally expressing more. What I think can be problematic is sometimes we think that means that's all of who they are. So if they're extroverted or they're this way, that's them. Rather than they might have a tendency towards that, but they're also capable and in different moments and different times might express the opposite of that or a different type of a characteristic. You're not limited to that. But often we start to create this more fossilized, hardened version of our personality where I'm just these things, but I'm not everything else. So if I'm extroverted, I shouldn't, I never should be introverted. If people like that, I'm always so talkative. If I'm not in the mood one day, I have to still be talkative. Or maybe I don't even realize I'm not in the mood because I think I have to be one way. This actually reminds me of something that comedians sometimes will experience. If you talk to comedians, they'll say that, you know, when they're on stage or performing, they probably love it. They like that. But there is a sense that even when they're off stage, people just expect them to be funny or make a joke or say something funny. Or if you're a comedian, don't you have a joke ready to make us laugh or you should make us laugh? And they aren't given the space to, of course, be full human beings. They might be have a great sense of humor, good at performing comedy, but it doesn't mean that's all that they are. They also will be sad. Sometimes they might not be in the mood. Of course, no one likes to feel like a, like a clown where you put them on the spot and I want you to make me laugh right now. That doesn't feel good. So there could be lots of ways that they feel that they're, we're limiting them and how we're seeing them and how we respond to them in a way that makes them only be seen as, oh, you're the funny guy or the funny girl, or that's all that you are. And so we limit what they get to be. So in this sense, they might have picked that. Some comedians will say that from a young age, they, from a survival type of point, they became the funny person. But they've picked this career, we can still say, where they're seen in this way. But if you, in interacting with them, only see them as a funny person, you are limiting who they get to be and how they get to be in this world. And actually, I think we see this with often comedians who, yes, they're funny and they make jokes, but they, it is type of a cliche, but there's some truth that they might have a, a darkness there, also a depression or a sadness that they carry. Often, many people won't leave space for them to, to have that. People will interact with them in a way that you're just a funny person and you're happy because funny means laughing so you must be happy all the time when that's not at all the case actually oftentimes comedians where they find their humor can be in a space of anger or something that's wrong with things that they are presenting in a funny way so um, first of all they're full human beings that will have a whole range of emotions but even in their art there might be more to it than just think of it as funny as in happy Um, but so all of us will have these tendencies that we think okay this is my personality but not realizing the ways that we're limited by these ways of being that we've gotten praised for or reinforced and we might cut off other parts of ourselves that actually might be part of our genuine response to a new situation or a different situation so when we're giving compliments again it seems like this positive thing what 
why am I making a big deal of how you praise someone, especially if you're saying nice things to your child? Overall, that's a very good thing and far better than any kind of insult that you should never do. But we do have to be aware of how we give our kids this sense of who they are and why they are lovable. We might not even realize it, but when you tell a child that you did this and I love you or uh, you're so beautiful, I love you, we are giving them the message that this is why you are loved. Not that I love you, you're my child and I'm going to love you no matter what, or I love you even when you're having a bad day or you're having a good day. I love you if you're angry, or even if you're angry with me or upset with me in something I did, I still love you. might not even feel good in the moment, or we might have to have a conversation, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. And as a parent, it's difficult because, yes, if you're stressed, life is difficult, life is challenging, it is easier when your kids are, even the way we say it, they're easier. Oh, this baby was easy because they didn't cry that much. It's understandable. It's not to say that's not real that it's difficult if your baby is colicky and crying for long periods of time, whereas they get older, throwing a tantrum, that's not a pleasant experience. So you don't have to lie to yourself and say that it's pleasant when they tantrum as pleasant as when they're smiling. But we have to be aware of how do we make them recognize that they're loved no matter what, in their good or their bad days, I still love you. And especially I don't just love you for being a certain way. Especially I don't love you because you never complain or you never get upset. Something that often parents might say to their kids thinking, I'm complimenting them, I'm praising them, but I'm actually hurting them. And so this is something that, yes, as a parent to be aware of, but then for you to think yourself of what are the ways that I've been praised and now when I interact with others, it might be my go-to of how I interact with them, how I act with them. What are the parts of myself that I might completely avoid, not getting sad, not getting angry, not creating conflict, not being too loud, not being too whatever? What are the ways that I've learned that I'm supposed to be, I'm putting it in quotes, supposed to be, that actually cuts off the ways that I'd want to be in certain situations and to want to be this more full human being who experiences a whole range of things? So oftentimes we may not think about it, but those gold stars that we receive, those praises and those uh, way to goes that we get might actually hurt us in the ways that we allow ourselves to be seen or to want to be seen by others because we think our love our acceptance is dependent on us being a certain way and we could be afraid to leave that or to lose that all right that brings us to the end of today's show again tomorrow i'll be at the iranian american bar association's national conference if you're there come say hello hope to see you there that brings us to the end of today's show a big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio you've been listening to in session with dr farid lakwi zan zendegi azadi <laughs>